Yes, indeed. It is a Friday. Time for the Pro Nola segment with my guy, Gus Cottingale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. We got plenty to talk about this morning. Happy Friday, Gus. What's happening? How you doing, man? Good morning, sir. So I, I got a message from um, a listener that... You know, he he said this. He said it to me earlier this week, and I and I gave you a heads up on it the other day. But he said, "Look, Saints twenty twenty one season. You have you know a fire on top of the Superdome this week. Co- coaches catching COVID, a Cat Five hurricane, month long evacuation, Breeze's retirement, the salary cap, twelve players on IR, half of which are starters. Michael Thomas's surgery, David Onyemata's suspension." a global pandemic, a vaccine mandate in the league. It's going into week three, and he says that he is just blaming your old rooster, Gallo, on all of this, and folks that have listened for a long time know that that rooster is is, is evil. So what are your thoughts? I'll say this, Scott. Um, the Gallo laid a gargantuan curse on us all. Not only my life been more difficult, remember, days, days after Gallo had a windshield crack. We had stuff happen all around the house. Things perfect. Not a hurricane either. I'm blaming everything on the you know, when it comes to it. Um, throwing the paints. Throwing everybody. Um, I honestly don't know <laughs> if it has anything to do with it or not, but I'll this. Things have been uh, awkward, right? But, look, here's, here's what I'm not blaming the guy open completely. When it comes to the Saints, it's kind of what we talked about on Wednesday when you came on our strand. That Saints loss was somewhat, you know, explainable to an extent. Maybe inexplainable how all of a sudden communication can go to bleep from one week to the last. But, look, there's a lot of other things that you can say, well, this is the reason why. So, you know, as far as the cracked windshield, disappearing or cracking around the house, that's guy will I think it's just those weeks like they did to Green Bay, man, and Tampa last. They got out coached, outplayed, out schemed. They've done it to teams. Week two, got done to them. That was, you know, I told you this uh, on your show this week, and I said it before the season. The Saints have the widest gap between their floor and their ceiling this year, and I think week one and two. Well, we're further proof of that because I think in some ways we probably saw their ceiling and then their floor. Um, what, what, I, I guess the question, Gus, is in sort of what order do you rank the issues from last Sunday in, right? The offensive line, I thought, has the most blame for, for the Saints' failures against Carolina. But what, where, do you, where do you rank that? Is it O-line first, missing all the coaches second, um, you know, missing all, you know, key players third, Jameis fourth? Is Carolina second? You know, do they deserve a lot more credit? Like, where do you rank the blame for the debacle that was last Sunday, which was statistically the worst offensive performance of the Sean Payton era by a mile? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to start, even though I know it's probably not popular. Um, you have to start with Carolina because it was their players, their scheme that caused the miscommunication. It wasn't if you know, we were watching that game and – you saw Winston say hut and the offensive line literally went left to right and the Panthers were literally just going straight. Sort of like the playoffs a couple of seasons ago, Scott, where the Vikings didn't do anything special in particular, just blew the Saints off the line and, you know, beat the Saints in that playoff game. 
senior in the dome. So that, that wasn't the case. If that's the case, I would have started with the line. You have to start with Carolina. It was their guys. It was their scheme. And it was interesting. You saw this week, I think it was Tuesday, Brian Baldinger put up, you know, his little two-and-a-half, three-minute video he'd like to put up, a film study. And what you saw really was something I didn't really think about during the game or before the game. So he's funding a lot of players that he goes to either Temple or Baylor. So familiar with what he wants to do, familiar with this game, and you could see it. He brought players specifically designed to play in that scheme. So when you do all of that, it makes sense. So you have to start with Carolina because they devised a plan to um, take advantage of Cesar Reed playing center for the first time in a year and a half. And, look, I think that is next. Yes, you can stay the line, but you don't have Drew Brees. Like, I don't think that happened last week when Drew's your quarterback. Obviously, Gus, you can say that for a number of reasons, but in particular, Drew made the protection calls. Drew made the mic checks. Drew reassigned mic checks. It's something that a couple of the players and Brian was talking about in his video. You can walk up to the line, and once the defensive line shifts, you have to reassign where you think that pressure is coming. And you have a off-season and a training camp in which Jameis Winston is allowed or Taysom Hill is allowed the center to do that. Well, you lose your center last week. And, yeah, you can sit there and say, hey, look, go ahead and, you know, Cesar Reeves should be ready for it. He can plan for it. He can play for it. Man, it's a whole other thing to actually do it in live game situations and setups and settings. And um, you saw it. You saw the issue. You saw Jameis at the end of the game talk about how he felt that he needed to be louder to communicate or the hesitation there because again you hadn't done it so I think what we've learned man whether Scottish Cajuns, high school football pro football any sport athletes thrive in repetition they thrive in, in environments that they are comfortable and just like in baseball you try to keep the hitter off balance in basketball. You try to body check enough to get in his way to kind of disrupt his rhythm of going into a shot. Same thing with football. If I can just get you to think for a second, a second, rather than react, um, then I win. And, and that's what we saw, I think, last week. So I think I start with the Panthers. I start with Cesar Ruiz second. Start the rest of the line third. You can throw in, you know, Winston as well. And, you know, at the bottom of my list, obviously, I would put the defense, and in particular, you know, the middle linebacker, well, not middle, but, you know, Zach Vaughn and others. Just, you know, I, I understand the whole next man up mentality, but Scott sometimes next man up isn't your starter, and the starter's for a reason. And in a game in which you know Christian McCaffrey is their weapon, we talked about it, how key that was. It was clear, it was apparent, it was early, you saw it often. They attacked the middle of the field. They looked for those matchups, and they just attacked, attacked, attacked. And Dennis Allen did a good job of, you know, showing up the dam enough to where the Saints could have come back in that game. It was 17-7. The Panthers scored one touchdown in the second half. One. So when you look at it, the Saints had an opportunity to throw the guy going in offense. But okay, uh, our guest, ESPN fourteen twenty. The uh, the Saints injury report, at least early signs. You know, you got a number of guys on IR, but. Looking promising, you know, guys like Lattimore, CJ, GJ, others possibly, probably going to be back on the field this week. 
Um, you know, I, I somebody it was you, right? It was you on Wednesday that asked me if the Saints want to get a win at the at New England, where currently they're a three point betting underdog. You know, in 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 New England makes it a point to slow down Alvin Kamara. Who is the next guy to step up? And the reality is, I, I there isn't a definitive answer to that question right now, and that's a problem, right? In the past, you could say Michael Thomas. You know, you can't do that. You know, in the past, you could point to a number of people and say that can be the person that, as far as the stat sheet goes, is going to have a big game. I mean, after Alvin, after Alvin Kamara, when you look at skill players currently available to the Saints, there isn't a guy on that team that would be a number one on anybody's team, and at best would be a number two on teams without a lot of depth in certain spots, kind of like the Saints, right? So if it's not Alvin Kamara Sunday, who is the skill player that steps up and has a big day against the Patriots? That's a very good question, and... Again, Scott, it goes to what we've talked about on your show and on mine, man, going into the season. It's a reason why I had him as a 7-8 win team um, and called him a potential playoff team. Because I think talent-wise, that makes sense, those number of wins. If other players grow into roles that they've never been asked before, they can potentially be a playoff team. What we saw against Green Bay yeah, I mean, if Jawan Chauncey can be a touchdown or a guy that you can depend on week in and week out to catch the ball, can Adam Troutman develop right now for two games? Um, I got to tell you, I think the people that didn't care for, you know, the former tight end that was here kind of have a new tight end to kind of go after. I don't know if that's fair or not, but he needs to step up and play better. He needs to block. He needs to catch. He needs to, you know, do things while he's on the field. Look, Marquez Callaway has three receptions. Three. He, you know, that's, you, you need more than that. But, you know, again, in week one, did we even talk about he only had two? So, it, it's, it, it's hard to kind of say right now because you've had so two contracting games. You know what I'm saying, Scott? Like, you can look at a team or, a pair of games that they were somewhat similar, even if they were one and one, and kind of see how players were used. Last week was just a, it was an, you know, an unmitigated disaster. It was just, there was nothing you can take of relevance out of that game and then make an educated, informative opinion of, well, the Saints need to do this with this player because nothing worked. And if you can't block, you're not going to run and you're not going to pass. So, you know, seeing the narrative this week from some Saints fans and media members of are the receivers getting separation? Like, what do you want them to do when literally the quarterback is running for his life when he gets the ball on the snap? What do you want him to do and the receivers to do when no one respects the run and are playing coverage? What do you want him to do when he actually hands off the ball or throws it to Alvin Kamara, but they don't respect the receivers? So they're manning up on them at the line, and they're stacking everybody up against Kamara, and he has nowhere to go. So you, you kind of have to work inside out. Like Jameis said, or several people this week mentioned it, players, coaches, well, they got to run the football. They've got to be able to establish the line of scrimmage and that dominance. If they can do that, it'll open up everything else. And then we'll get back to where we were in week one, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, right? Oh, look at that tight end. Look at Jawan Johnson. He can do that. And, Look at Deontay Harris. He's that deep threat. Look, Baldinger in that 
video went over one of those Jameis Winston interceptions, and Deontay Harris was open. There was going to be another TD in the end zone. He got past this guy. He was wide open. The problem was, at the snap, someone came right up the middle, unblocked. Jameis had a spin. You remember that pick, Scott? He spun towards the near side, mm-hmm. turned around, jumped in through as he was getting hit, and it got picked off at the 10-yard line. But if he, if that gets picked up in the middle by the center, he steps into that throw and delivers a bomb, and it's a touchdown set. So there was separation. Jameis can deliver that ball. He's got to be allowed to do it. And then he has to not make that decision when it does break down, but that's him trying to make plays. So, you know, look, I, I, you see all the narratives this week of he has to make better decisions. Look, the whole team has to play better. And, again, I think when you don't have any coaches, I think when you don't have starters, it affects it. And, guys, there's, there's a reason you have a starting center in the NFL. It's a very key, important position. Scott, you're a baseball guy. You love your Mets. You love my Cubs. Catcher. And you've got a good catcher that can control the game, that can call the game. It's a big difference. And it's got, that's why Cy Young pitchers, Hall of Fame pitchers, sometimes will just catch with one guy that they trust. That's how important the center position is. It's like a catcher position in baseball. It's just, it's vital. And look, it was a learning experience. I think Cesar Ruiz will be better this week. But, you know, I mean, you ask me what player needs to step up. Scott's the list, it's the roster. Um, everyone needs to. And maybe it was a good little eye-opener. I wouldn't say you eat the cheese, but that was a very confident team going into the Green Bay game. They came out and whooped their tail. And then he got their tail whooped. So it's kind of nice. You've seen what you can maybe be, and you've seen what if you don't perform well will happen to you. So I think it's probably a good thing going into New England this week. Yeah, you see both sides of the coin for sure. It is um... – it really is. I I wasn't as confounded by the first two weeks as many. Surprised a little, sure, but when I think about the floor and the ceiling, it makes it makes sense. But in terms of like what to expect this Sunday, it feels about as unexpected. Like this, it is. This is as difficult the Saints game as I can remember to get a real true feel for. There's just a lot of unknown here. ESPN 1420.com, Scott Prather, Gus Cattengale, our guest. It's the Pro Nola segment. Uh, and then, you know, when you look at the Patriots, they're one and one. They lost to the Dolphins by a point. They were going down to win. They fumbled the football. Uh, and then last week, they beat the Jets by 19, but Really, what they did was they won the turnover battle by four. They didn't – it's not like they racked up a ton of yards. I mean, the Jets the Jets had more first downs. The Jets had uh, considerably more yards. They had more total plays. They, they, had, they won the time of possession battle. They just turned the ball over. New England, their O-line has kind of struggled a little bit. Um, and so, you know, McDaniels and Belichick, they're going into these things saying, all right, Mac, we're going to – we're just going to be conservative here. 22 to 30, it works, right? It's effective. Even though it's less than five yards per pass play, uh, it's effective, right? Let's just do this and not turn the ball over. Let's not beat ourselves. They were 3 of 12 on third down. Like the offense wasn't doing great for New England. They just waited for the Jets to self implode, which is always a safe bet when you're playing the New York Jets. So for the Saints, protect the football, play it straight. And see what happens on Sunday. But I'll say this about the Saints. Peyton Turner was a bright spot. 
um, on on Sunday against Carolina. And Christian Ringo, a guy I know, uh, he's 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 done good in the starting role when you consider how much they lost to the tackle. Uh, the, the Saints have done a, a decent job at slowing down the run, and Carolina had so many plays last week, but it's not like they had these long runs. Now the passing game was different. You know, I, I think the Saints, if they don't, if the turnover battle is even here, Gus, I think they can win this game. But I, I, I don't know why I feel like they're going to be minus one or maybe minus two and lose a game by a field goal. Of course, I don't know why I'm feeling anything about this team because the way I started this rant was it's really hard to get a pulse on them heading into this particular game. I just know based on what New England's done the first two weeks, they're going to do their best to protect the football and see if the Saints can step on their own, you know, to step on a rake, basically. And if the Saints don't do that, then they got a good chance to win this Sunday because they got their staff right. back and things like that. You know, it's it's like if if we see less of the floor and less of the ceiling and somewhere in the middle – I think the Saints can win if they don't lose the turnover battle, but I'm not fully confident they're going to do that. I don't have a good feel for the game. What are your thoughts on this Sunday's matchup against the Patriots? Well, I'll say this. I, I definitely think it's interesting looking at, you know, the, the morning talk shows this morning. They're asking, you know, what does Mac Jones need to do more for the Patriots? That's just kind of, I guess, where our sports media is doing exactly what he needs to do. You know, I heard someone make the comparison earlier in training camp and really after week one and even after week two when they won. You remember Tom Brady when he first took over, <laughs> uh, you know, won the Super Bowl that year. He managed the game, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at a lot of those Super Bowl wins, yep, you, you have that incredible one at Carolina, the comeback with the Falcons 28-3 to on that. But some of those were just manage the game, don't beat yourself. Make the right play. Um, what is it, 51 of 69, 76% completion percentage? That's Matt Jones right now. That's a rookie in two games. That's exactly what he needs to do. Make the right play. Make the right read. You look at the highlights. You look at any time they have footage and they show Matt Jones. Scott, it's a, it's a crossing route. It's a 10-yard out. It's a flare. It's a wheel route. It's one shot. It's a screen pass. It's a quick hitch. It's plays yeah. that get the ball out it's of his a, hand. And it's effective. It's high right? percentage. It's effective. Exactly. Exactly. It's no, like, and, yeah. look, and, and so, you know, to the point this week, a lot of the Saints players talk about this, you know, the turnover battle and how, how much that is. And to your point, the, the style of play that the Patriots play in offense makes it difficult to try to get those interceptions from him. So, you know, yeah, you're trying. Yes, you want to. Got to strip the ball and all that, but I think short tackling is going to be a, a, a thing. They're going to catch the ball, make sure that three-yard catch, five-yard catch, and seven to ten, five to eight, right? So, but again, I mean, if you look and you will, but before this game comes, you'll see magic. They're they're very high percentage safe passes. It's a great play call. I wonder if Sean Payton's kind of going to try to do that early. Try to establish that as well. Get Winston in a rhythm. He talked a ton about rhythm this week. Get that offense some confidence. Maybe rolling them out, rolling the pocket, doing a lot of different things to maybe to help that in the passing game as well. But I'm, I'm with you, Scott. I do think the Saints can go there and win that game. I, I, you look at you know both games so far at New England, and they coughed it up three times in the red zone against Miami. They got stripped. So. They could have won that game, though. So it's going to be a team that I definitely will challenge you. 
absolutely can win. I think the Saints have the the players to do it. It's about who executes better. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how Belichick and how he schemes, and Sean even talked about it this week, that that defense is so well coached that they literally can do a different defensive game plan by the league, by the team, and it makes it hard to um, kind of prepare for, which makes sense, Scott. Sean Payton's would only beat the Patriots once, so it's there's a reason for that. And, and yep, Belichick's good. So you have a defensive mind going up against an offensive mind. But I think if I have to find some slight edge, I think almost the same sort of feel, especially knowing that they're coming home next week, Scott, they're going to fly home from New England. I feel that when you look at it, maybe, just maybe, that, that little extra edge of, you know, backs against the wall, knowing, man, you can get this win, it'd be a big difference going into the next couple of weeks here against some teams that, you know, in the NFC East, let's see what happens. But I, I just I feel like maybe that hunger, that, that desire, and again, last week maybe it was good. You can't play worse. You can't be out-coaching, out-scheme more. So even Bond knows what they're going to do, what they're going to try to do. So maybe that'll help you. They don't have a Christian McCaffrey, and they don't have a dynamic offense at the skill position. It's just about playing sound football. I think if they can do that, they can win. That's Cat Gill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. My final Saints question for you, Gus. You just alluded to it about after the game, finally getting to go back home, right? They've been away from home for well over a month. And that 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 can start to wear on you. And just the idea of, I can't wait to get home, like, what what impact is that currently in your mind playing on the team, and, and potentially what impact does it have on Sunday's game? I I, I look, I, I do think in talking with Amy just earlier in the week, she comes on every Tuesday on our show. She let off this segment by saying, you know, hello from Dallas, day twenty six. I mean, it's almost like a hostage situation, you know. I mean, look. Paulson Adebo said it yesterday that he look they got everything in terms of football setup, right? You have the tech, you have rooms. Obviously, if you're a young single guy, you're a rookie, you don't have that many real worries. You haven't even been in the worries really that long. They really have a place that probably has an apartment. It's different though for the people that have families. It's different for the older guys, the veterans. And at the same time, not only their families, but for you too. Um, I enjoy the travel every now and then on the road during the basketball season. But I can promise you, we start getting into the lingering months or we do a Thanksgiving trip where you leave Tuesday, come back Sunday. You know, it, it, it wears on you, and you, you can't wait to get home. You just want to be in your room, in your house, in your bed, in your own situation, and all that stuff. So I do think that wears on you, man. And this is week five. This is week five. I mean, three, five weeks. So... I know I've heard somewhere between like four, four and a half or something. By the time they come back home, it'll be five weeks. And they've been gone. That, that's a long time. That's, that's a month in a week. I mean, that's, that's a long, long time. So it, it is interesting that, that I do think that plays to it. And that's why, like I said, if there's that extra edge, man, maybe it's, it's knowing that when they board that flight, you know, they're going to land and you see the swampy waters and the blue tarps, man, when they fly over Laplace. <laughs> And, 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 and touchdown home. So I do think maybe that's a little extra motivation. And look, in the game of football, in the 
world where emotion matters, even though they're trying to phase it out with, with all those terrible oh my taunting God. calls. Um, I think it matters, man. ESPN1420.com, the taunting, man. Don't even get me started. The old taunting rule worked fine, right? You cl- you cross a line, a real line, go ahead and do it. The problem is these subjective, oh, well, this is taunting. It's like, Stop it. Just in, anyway, I, I don't want to get. Let's let's close with this. Gus Kattengauer, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Coming up later in the show this morning, I'm, I'm visiting with Christian Clark on the air. I know you talked to him. He, uh, he's he been on before. He wrote the article this week for the uh, advocate slash Tom Spicune about the Pelican situation and David Griffin over the last two years and Zion and this fractured relationship and everything else that just, you know, is, is a reminder why this franchise is, is a bottom feeder despite having two young all-stars. Um, but I, I, I was more with Christian Gus, but I got to ask you, I mean, what was your top takeaway from that thing? Jokes aside, what was your number one takeaway? My number one take is, unfortunately, I think a lot of what I felt and thought was true. Um, and it's what we've talked about. And look, it's, as you've heard on your show, I said it on mine, Scott, um, there's a ton of blame when it comes to David Griffin. I think he's a guy that uses a certain way of speaking and language to uh, talk big in the room. I also think he's an individual that does not like to be challenged. I got that notion and feeling from him early on, and I understand that we've all worked for people like that in bosses. It's my way or the highway and whatever. I, I get all that. Um, but there's a reason, I guess, was how I, I ended when I read that. And I talked to Christian when the article came out this week. I said, look, if anything, what you did was you showed that there is a reason why this team is on its third head coach. There is a reason why it's quote-unquote franchise player is unhappy and his family is unhappy. There is a reason why you could not have had a more disastrous year last year compounded by the disastrous, you know, following two weeks in off season after the year concluded. It, it could not have been worse. And it's because not just of the win-loss record, what made it worse was the perception return. It, it kind of paused kind of went away for a second about New Orleans not being somewhere where you want. You have the press conference with Zion and his dad, his stepdad saying he wants to be here, he loves it here, all of that stuff, the first day he's introduced, all of that stuff. So you have that, but by the time the season ended, you have Gentry being fired, Zion saying there's a lot more than just uh, the three things that Griffin said, and you know what? You and I heard it to our trained ears when he was told about the three principles that David Griffin wants, you know, basketball IQ, shooting, and playing harder. And he said, well, there's a lot more than that. <laughs> and he mentioned the staff and all that. You knew right then and there that what David Griffin and him have isn't exactly the closest of relationships. I mean, I, I remember texting people right after that at my Okay, that was complete contrast of what the president of basketball operations had to say. So um, I thought that was very interesting. And I told you during Vegas, I said, everyone's trying to tell me that it's not a big deal. But when your guy that you are trying to sell market 
and hand the keys to the franchise does not participate. That's right. Show up. That's right. Or even hang out with his team. That's bad. That's and and he did, you know, uh, can I just say, I mean, I, I came away from that saying, you know, Zion's got a lot of blame here, too. Like, he's oh, played what? 90, oh, like I was going to say. 90 I games? I mean, like, we can ma- I made yeah. jokes about, you know, playing piano for him and all that. I mean, we, everybody did. But, like, the reality is... He got mad because the training staff was overly cautious with him when he showed up to the team out of shape. He got hurt at Summer League. He got hurt uh, the the first time in the bubble because he showed up there out of shape. And then he told the franchise, well, don't tell anyone. Just say it's a family matter. And they did. And then he – it's look, if you're not doing every single voluntary thing with your teammates in the offseason and everything else, okay. But when you're not doing any of it, when you're not showing up to Summer League, as you said, to support your guys when they're there, when you're not showing up with Brandon Ingram and, and Trajan Langdon when they're in Phoenix trying to do some scouting, if you will, in the NBA Finals, and, and they're inviting you and saying, come do this with us. No, I can't. Like, okay, you're, he makes yeah. a lot of money. He's a superstar. You have a shoot, whatever. But when it's all the time, I mean, we're talking about giant red flags here. It's not like he's been here for like four or five years. He's played 90 games for the franchise. That's 100%. it. Like, 100%. come on, bro. Like, yeah. you you gotta you can you can get mad that okay, the GM and I we're not 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 every player in the league at GM, not every player in the league is is great with the president of basketball operations, whatever. But like, you you, you can't you can't get, it gives off the vibe that you never really bought in to begin with. I, I, I it's 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 just bad, man, all the way around. Scott, it's real simple. The greatest player. Arguably, a lot of people feel Michael Jordan also had the greatest internal conflict, as we saw in a 10-part documented series for Jerry Krause. I think if he could have murdered him, he would have, right? I mean, seriously, those two people absolutely did not see eye to eye. My lungs? I mean, they, they completely did not see eye to eye. What did Michael Jordan do? He won six championships. What did Michael Jordan do? He took over the Bulls. He said, this is my team. I make the decisions. But he made and said he can make those decisions by his play, Scott. He worked harder than everyone else. He made sure. I mean, literally, the name of the documentary is last day. He went into that season and said, this guy's going to get rid of all. And like the movie Major League, so let's go out and win it. Right? I mean, that's what he did. And you got this kid who, look, I told you this last year. I, I, I told you all the warning signs. Not allowed to do interviews. No follow-ups. Parents are controlling it. Um, You've got to grow up. You've got to be a man. And, again, fair or not fair, like we talked about it with Marcus Davenport, when you're a first-round draft pick, you're going to be viewed differently. When you are a franchise player, the number one pick overall, you're going to be looked at differently. Other things are going to be expected of you that not other players are. And, you know, we can go back and forth, man, as to what he should be doing and what he shouldn't. But Stan Van Gundy said on, you know, the Dan Levitard show after he got canned, that he thinks Zion should be at Fred Vincent's place every single day working on his shot. I haven't seen a video, and from what I've talked to and gathered, he had, never did all summer. I, so I don't know what to tell you. The guy fixed Lonzo Ball enough to get a max contract in Chicago. So 
Look, close to a max. That that's a whole other side of the story. But here's something that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, Scott. If you want to look at what he should or shouldn't do as an athlete or a person, I think the thing that really stands out to me is how disrespectful it is to Willie Green. You don't like David Griffin? You don't want to sign the extension for two years. That's your prerogative. But what are you doing to Willie Green? Here's a guy who busted his tail in the league to stay in the league, to play in the league. Busted his tail through the coaching ranks. Is respected by coaches, respected by current Hall of Fame players. Not someone that's played 90 games. And I, it stood out very awkward to me, and I remember talking to you about it. When Willie Green's presser, he was asked, has he talked to Zion yet? He said, not yet. That he was still trying to get some text return and stuff. How do you not text or talk or Zoom or FaceTime your new head coach? It's not a retread coach from the past, like D'Antoni or anything. This is a guy who deserves your ear and chance to prove whether or not this guy can do the job or not. So when he's in Vegas and gets a bunch of kids who are trying to battle for a check to play together after 10 days, I mean, they had like, what was it, seven, 10 days of practice, and you saw the effort that they were giving, and you can't be bothered to show up you're ghosting when you're Brandon already Ingram. in Vegas, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, dude, I, again, the number one thing that stood out to me with all of this in the, in the two months, three months since the season ended is how disrespectful that is to Willie Green. Okay? At the very least, you show up. You don't like David Griffin, that's fine. You know what you can do if you're a good player? You know what you can do when you're a franchise player? You can walk right on up upstairs, knock on the door, and on the main placard it says Gail Benson. You can tell her I don't like this guy. That's what you can do, but you have to have that clout to be able to do that. And when you don't even give your new head coach a chance, because that's what he did, Scott, that's what he did. If you, if you want to tell me you're about winning, because this is what we're going to hear on Monday and media day, right? I'm about winning and all this. Stuff. Okay, so where were you? Why are you not working out? He has, four, he has three new starters in the starting five. Why haven't you hooped with him? Like, was natural enough? Now, now look. He could maybe come out on Monday and say, we spent a month together. But what I've been told is it hasn't happened. So, it just, to me, that, it's disrespectful. It's disres- disrespectful to Willie Green because you're having this man in his first month and a half start a way that he shouldn't when he's already trying to install his stuff and everything. So, that's what I'm going to be very interested in. And you know what? If he gets criticized, if he – you know, brings this upon himself. I mean, he did it. He did it himself. He didn't clarify those comments to the athletic because clearly they were true. He hasn't been with the team all summer. And quite honestly, the last video I saw with him at the UFC football game this past weekend, I don't see him in better shape. So, you know what? It is what it is, dude. Yes. Uh, I support Willie Green and the guys that want to be here want to play. If you don't want to be here, then don't be here. But – I am not going to be one of those media members. Oh, it's Zion, and he's great. What has he done? What has he done? I mean, okay, he had a couple of good games. He had some numbers. Uh, he, he has a lot of games. He is. He grow. is. A, he is a great I mean, player, but he's got a lot of growing up to do, in my opinion. Um, he's a he's a special talent, but he's got a lot of growing up to do. And Monday will be very interesting in terms of media yeah. days for I the Pelicans. I wonder if he answers all those questions. Yeah. He's going to get asked about his offseason. 
ESPN exactly. fourteen twenty. More on this later. Christian Clark, who uh, broke the story, will be with us. We got to let Gus run. Give him a follow on Twitter at gcat underscore one seven seven. Keep the rooster away, Gus. I appreciate the time as always, my friend. And we'll talk soon. Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you, buddy. You got it.